Welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week we will be listening to a sermon from Pastor Dana O'Brien's sermon series from September and October 2022 on caring for the planet. We hope you enjoy this message and that it offers some meaning for your life. Yep, we're all, I'm turning, so you all have to turn with me. Um, I, I figured this was perfect to do a, uh, a backdrop of the gorgeous plants and animals and foliage and stuff that we have around here. This is it's about 15 acres here, and uh, we're stewards of this property. We're not owners, we're stewards. And so we spend our time trying to take care of it the way God would take care of it. And so right now, we're really thinking about what we can do to address climate change with British property, everything from, you know, from uh, milkweed for, for monarchs to honeybees to solar panels. You know, we haven't decided. So your thoughts are always um, welcome. I really had a good verse from the Old Testament to start out, and I can't find it. So, <laughs> so, so we'll do it. We'll do it. Oh, no, 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 no. We'll do it next week. Because um, it'll be good next. Okay. Um, remember the sermon series we had um, a couple of months ago on grace? Okay, people. Let's, let's extend a bit of it. Um, okay. So, with this gorgeous backdrop in mind, um, here's... The trick is to help it at home. Okay, so here's um, some stuff I love. Oh, yeah, 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 that's great. Here's some stuff I love. Um... It's, uh, I, I have pictures, which, you know, it would have been much better if we had slides, but we didn't. So I have, I have pictures, and um, the pictures are of my children's uh, family, my daughter and her husband and, and their kids, and then some, some, a trip that we took about 19 years ago when my daughter was just a high schooler. So in August, and I'll just put this up here until it blows down. In August of uh, 2003, a friend of mine and our, we each had two daughters, so the six of us, uh, did a 180-mile bike ride from Banff to Jasper in Canada. And it was one of those, it, it wasn't as impressive as it may sound, it was one of those guided tours where a truck follows you, carrying all your stuff and picking you up in case you kind of fail. Um, all you have to do is bike the 40 or so miles each day. So at first we were afraid that the ride might be canceled entirely because you probably don't remember, but back in 2003 there were huge fires throughout this area of Canada. And in fact, when we were flying into Calgary and then driving to the start of the ride, we actually passed literally on the side of the road um, some flames that, that you know were parts of the fires. As it turned out, we were lucky. Um, the smoke did obscure the view of the mountains behind us, the Canadian Rockies, so the, it wasn't as pretty as it would have otherwise been. But, and this was key, um, a road that was normally packed with cars and tour buses was almost deserted, which, which was really good for those of us on bikes, especially when you had four teenagers, because it meant that all we had to do was worry about, like, bear and moose or accidentally riding our bikes off the side of the mountain. So it was an amazing trip, and in addition to the incredible biking, we did some climbing around Lake Louise, we camped in the Rockies, we walked on the Athabasca glacier and we actually did see a bear on the side of the road um it's a you know it's the kind of trip that one day i would like to take my grandkids on but trust me i would be riding an electric bike at that point 
you know, that might be pushed in a wheelchair. I'm not sure which. But anyway, so I checked on the Athabasca Glacier to see how it was doing. It's one of the six principal toes of the Columbia Ice Field. And according, um, unfortunately, it's not doing as well as it was. Um, it, in fact, it's not exactly where it was when I saw it. According to studies, the glacier is retreating about 16.4 feet per year, okay? And, which means that in the 19 years since I took my daughters on this trip, it has retreated over 100 yards, which is the length of a football field, not counting the, the, the end zones. So the, and, the, and the glacier melt is only accelerating. So the question remains, Will this glacier even be around if my, I wanted to take my kids to see it later? And much less would it be around for their own children? So it's just one example of how climate change affects my life, more importantly, the lives of my and your children and grandchildren. So we are now, as you know, in our second week of our sermon series on climate change and caring for creation. And last week, we looked at some examples of climate change that were and, as it turns out, still are happening all over the U.S. and, and all over the world. Whether events like fires, storms, flooding, heat waves, all extraordinary events that because of climate change are occurring more often and have a more devastating scope. So heat waves are longer and the temperature is higher. Storms are more frequent and they seem to drop, well they don't just seem to drop a lot more rain, they do drop a lot more rain. Um, this week it's, you know, last week it was out west and out east. This week it's Alaska and Puerto Rico and an earthquake in Taiwan. I mean, you know, I'm guessing that on any Sunday I can give you a litany of extraordinary weather events that are happening that are becoming less and less extraordinary um, each, each week. Ironically, um, last Sunday, last Sunday morning, literally while we were worshiping, okay, and we got a lot of rain here. Those of you who inside didn't notice it, but they even got more rain in Chicago. In fact, if you read in the paper, they got hit with so much rain that some of the infrastructure couldn't handle it. And so there are people who took pictures of, of it was like geyser-like water spewing out of, of manholes, and a lot of the infrastructure just couldn't handle it. Roads and, and houses were flooded. Um, and infrastructure, we all know this, it's a, it's a huge issue, and it's something that affects all of us. Um, you know, we built our sewers, we built our roads, we built our electrical grids, um, which are all of which are pretty old in many places, based on the needs of the time and anticipated needs in the future, which means that none of it is made to handle the extreme weather that we are getting now, okay? So, and, and you know, we can see that in events like Texas when their electrical grid crashes, when it gets really cold, and, and when the uh, water system falls, water treatment system falls apart in, uh, in parts of Mississippi. So we know that we're dealing with weather events that are extraordinary. It's abundantly clear scientists that, that these weather events are due to a warming planet which is caused by us, okay, humanity. Um, but more importantly, humanity mostly in developed countries like the United States. Remember last week, remember last week we spoke about the flooding in, in Pakistan that had decimated over a million homes and covered one third of the country in water? Well, Pakistan, which is suffering this huge impact, is responsible for less than 1% of global warming gases, okay? So, so that really kind of highlights the injustice of it all. Those most responsible for global warming are also those with the resources to best protect themselves. And I shouldn't say those, I should say us, okay? Us from its impact. It's the people who are already vulnerable who are being hit the hardest. So last week, we looked at how God created this world and then declared it good six times, which of course means that we don't own any of it. We don't own any of this stuff back here. We don't own any of it anywhere. God owns it all. But, and this is really important, God did entrust us with the job of taking care of 
the planet and everything on it. We are stewards, and that means it's, we're like managers, people who take care of property that we don't own but are entrusted to, to act in the, the, the owner's best interest. And while, while we're certainly expected to use the resources of the planet, right, of course we're supposed to use it, but we're not to, to abuse it. We're supposed to use it. We want to care for the planet and everything on it the way God, the owner, wants us to, and that's with love. We saw that, that that's how God feels about our planet. God loves it, and so we care for things the way God would. We learned that our care of the planet is also prompted by Jesus' command to love our neighbors. Loving our neighbors necessitates taking action to protect this planet, to protect our neighbors, to reduce the harm that it, of industrial society is doing through greenhouse gases and heavy reliance on fossil fuels. We can, we can, the bottom line, you guys, is this. We do all that we can to battle climate change because that's what the Bible tells us to do, okay, as Christians. It is part and parcel of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's that simple. Now, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I need more of incentive than just that. I mean, I know I'm supposed to do it because the Bible tells me to, but sometimes it helps to, to have a little more incentive. Um, so if you need a little more incentive or you need help realizing that now is the time for action, um, today I asked you to bring some things that you love and pictures and or pictures of things you love. Did anybody do that? I know three people brought their pets, and I'm assuming that that's stuff that they love. And you guys brought something you want to shout out, anything that you have that you love? Or not. <laughs> okay, well, I'll just wing it then. What is that? Okay, so, oh, yeah, well, I, okay. Yes. Exactly. Somebody wrote a picture of the French Quarter, and, and we, yeah, we don't even need to we don't even to, need to say more about that. New Orleans is is underwater. Well, I was going to say more often than not, but that's not the, that's certainly not the case. But it, it's the first place to go underwater when a storm gets anywhere near it. Yes, and we and we have all these really cool pets, um, which we could bless later on. Anyway, um, so today I want to help us to see that in addition to our call as Christians to combat climate change, we also have some really good reasons to act. Because climate change impacts lots of things we care about, some of, some of which we probably haven't even been aware of, okay? Now, um, I already talked about climate change and how it impacted some stuff I love, you know, my grandchildren and the experiences that I have with them and want to have with, with my, my great-grandchildren. Um, so what are some impacts right now? Um, and here, I'm not going to focus on the huge stuff because we could spend, you know, lots and lots of time focusing on that. I'm going to talk about more of the day-to-day -day impacts, the little nuances that, that impact our life. I, I, I'm sure it's safe to say that most of us value our, our health. And if you've got allergies and you've noticed that they seem to be getting worse um, over the years, you'd be correct. Because warming weather means longer allergy seasons, more pollen, and lousier air quality. And that makes it worse for all of us, but particularly those who've got asthma or other health conditions. And what goes for us also goes for our pets. Um, the heat maybe is arguably is even more harmful to our pets, especially to like those dogs back there who have really much thicker coats than we do. In addition to worsen pet allergies, and I, I know my dogs suffer from allergies, but as the weather warms, the geographic range of mosquitoes and ticks and fleas and parasites expand, and diseases like heartworm, which my dog just had, and Lyme disease, which affects both pets and humans, is one of those things that can transfer from both to both are becoming more prevalent. And it's not just our pets who are being impacted, you guys. All animals, all animals are being forced to adapt to our warming climate. And the amazing thing about, and you guys know this, the amazing thing about, about animals and plants is that they do adapt. Um, they do, over time they do adapt. It turns out that birds' bodies are getting smaller and their wings are getting bigger because of changes in migratory patterns. The problem is stuff isn't adapting quickly enough. 
Okay, the changes are happening so quickly that that the planet can adapt. It will it will over time, but we might not be around to see it. Um, so it's not just our pets that are being adapted. Every single species is is has to deal with this warming planet. And I'm sure we've and I again I'm going out of my way not to do this, but I'm sure you've all heard stories about starving polar bears, and we won't see any pictures about that. And huge reductions in in the number of bees and monarch butterflies. Um, on all of that is, is tied to climate change, right? Um, but there's a, there's not a species that isn't affected. My son-in-law recently took up the um, the hobby the hobby of bird watching, um, and I never would have guessed it, but that's what he does. And the birds that that he can expect to find are really different than the bird books would tell him, you know, because the bird books weren't were written yesterday; they were written a couple of years ago. And it's the birds you expect to find at your feeder are different than what you might expect to, to see too, because of these huge changes in migratory patterns, changes in food sources, changes in areas where birds range. And I really wanted to tell you about the boobies in California. Um, that You can find them in places that you couldn't find them before. Boobies are a type of bird, Lori. Um, <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can find them in places that you couldn't anymore because, because all the birds are moving north because the weather is, is more inclement. But it changes, it, it, it changes so much of the, of the birds' um, lives. So, and, and we know this. I don't know about, maybe, maybe geese were here all year round 40 years ago in Illinois. But in Wisconsin, where I grew up, you did not see Canadian geese all year round. They flew south for the winter. Well, now they're here all year round because of warming weather, and that means there's always going to be open water someplace. So lots of birds can't adjust to these huge changes. And so our recent Audubon reports noted that over 250 North American bird species are at risk of extinction if we don't do something. That's just North American birds, okay? Tammy Chose told me that she loves to take walks along the beach where she and Andrew live, and I'm hoping she's got a picture of herself walking along the beach, or maybe that's what she's doing right now. Now, in the future, she may find the ocean just a bit closer to her house than it is now because um, recent reports indicate that sea level rise has increased and is expected to be 10 to 12 inches higher over the next 30 years threatening to put some of the country county where Tammy lives underwater unless we do something. Bonnie Atkinson and her family love to vacation in or near the Grand Teton National Park. Warmer temperatures, longer, drier summers are going to result in even more frequent and larger fires, more rain, less snow, okay? Like many of our other national parks, and remember what happened to Yellowstone this year. I mean, they had to close it for a couple of weeks because of, because of flooding. Like many other national parks, Grand Teton will not be It'll be around, um, but it won't be the same place for our kids and our grandkids as it is for us unless we do something. Now, lots of us may not head to national parks, but we do like to travel. I know lots of us like to travel. And like everything else, we know that travel is impacted by climate change. As we all know, more frequent storms and other extreme weather, um, uh, increasingly upend airline schedules, and increasingly upend travel plans. Some of the places on people's bucket lists, like the Great Barrier Roof. Anybody been there? Okay, it would be on my bucket list, but I'm not a great diver. Anyway, they're just not what they were, once were, right? The, the reef is dying. Even trips like ski or golf vacations are increasingly impacted by climate change. If you're a golfer, you know that courses out west are challenged by drought. Courses out east, at the same time, are challenged by increased flooding and, and rain. And all golf courses take a whole heck of a lot of water to maintain. And so within the next years, five, ten years, there's going to be a dramatic change to what they look like, just because there has to be, because there's not that much water around anymore. Now, if you love winter sports, here, anybody love winter sports? Here, anybody? Okay. 
All right. So you know that things are changing. Ski areas are struggling with lack of snow. Big, and big ski destinations can make snow, so they're going to be okay. But it's the smaller ones, the smaller local ones, where the kids go and learn, where the newbies go and learn. They're having a harder time. They're, the ski seasons are increasingly shortened, and the slopes have to be closed for lack of snow. Um, and you may remember the Beijing, Beijing Olympics, which seemed like ages ago and was not that long ago, um, took place entirely on man-made snow. And, and they can do it, but, but they can't do it everywhere, and that takes up a lot of energy, too. Anyway, the same thing goes for other winter sports. Ice fishing, outside hockey, I'm sure we have a lot of ice fishermen here. Um, they're hampered by a, a lack of frozen ice. Cross-country skiing, snowmobiling are dealing with less and less snow. Carol Neighbors mentioned, of course, that she and Bill like visiting California wine country. Or, is anyone surprised? No. And while many of us may not have traveled to California like Bill and Cheryl, I bet lots of us appreciate a good glass of wine. Or maybe, or maybe your drink of choice is beer, or maybe your drink of choice is coffee. But all three of these drinks are being adversely impacted by climate change. And I bet you there's not a person here or watching at home that doesn't drink one of those three things, maybe more of them, right? The um, Aradaka coffee tree, which produces the most coffee beans, it thrives on cool mountain slopes. And it's increasingly difficult to find them. They're moving up and up. And pretty soon they're going to run out of slopes. Similarly, beer's three main ingredients. I'm not going to ask you what they're. Clean water, barley crops, and hops are being threatened by heavy rains and drought. And, you, you know, again, you think that those two things can't happen. But we've seen them happen just out west last year. We saw, we saw the drought, and then they got inundated with, inundated with rain. And so that results in decreasing beer supply and increased cost. Not good. And grapes used for wine production are extremely sensitive to variations in temperature and precipitation. So rising temperatures, as well as droughts and heat waves and fires, are really hurting premium wine production. Now, I don't drink the best wine, so I haven't noticed that yet. But um, it's not just in California. It's around the world. These are just examples of, of how climate change impacts our day-to-day -day lives, just the little stuff, you know. I mean, yeah, I can live without coffee. I can probably live without wine. I can definitely live without beer. But, um, but you know, I can't live without pets. Um, so we, and we haven't even really touched on the really big issues, you know, like increased housing costs, real health issues, um, increasingly scarce and expensive and lower quality food, okay, political instability, climate refugees, and a whole bunch of other things. I mean, those are really big things, okay? We just talked about little things like, you know, inability to ski as much as we might, might like. Um, we, haven't, and we haven't talked much about issues of climate justice, uh, which we'll get to a little bit next week. Um, but last Sunday, when I asked you to think of things that you loved and were passionate about, I got a text from Todd Mazera about justice in uh, issues in Flint, Michigan, environmental justice issues. And I, I get texts from people periodically, but then over the next couple of days, I got more texts from Todd. He just kept sending me things about, you know, about environmental issues in, in Flint, Michigan. And it became clear that one of the things that Todd was passionate about, one of the things he loved, was environmental justice, particularly as it relates to what's happening in Flint. And I'm sure Todd was hoping that I would research all those things and then talk to you about it. But you know what happens when somebody sends me a bunch of stuff? I go back to them and I say, hey, you want to talk about that? And Todd said, sure, I'd love to. <laughs> so he's just going to talk just a little bit about environmental justice issues as they relate to Flint, right? Uh, I will, uh, begrudgingly. I don't know if you know the story of Flint, Michigan. Uh, essentially, uh, back around 2015 or so, um, this, the city was struggling financially. The uh, city planners decided to pull, uh, to switch their water system from the Detroit water system to uh, another system that was a big cost-saving measure. Um, in the interim, 
they temporarily started using water from the Flint River. The Flint River water was heavy in lead, incredibly dangerous, and despite EPA warnings of, of the situation, they went ahead and did it. Um, residents got brown water, started getting sick, things went south pretty quickly, and the city realized, oh, cost savings isn't really saving us any money here, we better switch back. But by that time, the pipes were already um, messed up, and because there are some 30,000 pipes that need to be replaced, Flint is still dealing with this. Um, and I bring it up as, as a point of environmental injustice and as a point of something that we can do. The, um, the truth is, the Flint River didn't start as a poisonous river. It became poisonous because of um, industry, um, a car manufacturing primarily, but industries in and around the Detroit area and zoning that allowed big manufacturing to happen in areas that at one point were considered, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere, but eventually people moved into. And why I bring it up as a social injustice is if it's a industrial area, generally the property values and property prices are cheaper, and that tends to, um, it tends to deter um, some of the dominant majority, and it uh, becomes the only housing that um, underrepresented people can afford. Uh, so um, people of color were just adversely affected by the Flint, Michigan thing and um, poisoning. And it's something that we all have some voice in. We actually can do something about it. Sim simple things like the zoning in your area, um, the, uh, um, the how you vote, how you um, bring different uh, people into office. Simple things like the um, initiatives that townships and counties go through. Just simply looking, was there an environmental study done? How how does this affect, you know, us, me, the people around me? Um, and the uh, the sad fact is, despite um, everything else, Flint didn't pay attention to the EPA uh, warnings, and the residents didn't realize that the EPA was being ignored. You know, they just said, okay, yeah, sounds sounds good. We can get uh, cheaper water. Um, so. That is, uh, that is my short and sweet uh, environmental justice or injustice story. Um, but what we do impacts each other, sometimes adversely. So. Thanks. Thanks, Todd. Um, yeah, and, and we're gonna be we've, we've already seen it. Um, remember we talked about the, the fact that the infrastructure in Jackson, Mississippi completely failed, and so they didn't have water for a couple weeks? Well, Jackson, Mississippi is a, is a community that's, that's mostly populated by people of color. Um, you know, we're going to see over and over again that the people who are most vulnerable, the poor, um, the, the sick, the old, the young, those are the ones who get hit by, hit the hardest by that. Um, and so we're going to talk about things over the next couple weeks about things that we can do. Um, I mean, sometimes, and again, sometimes this problem seems so big that you don't know where to start, and it's just, it's just mammoth, or it's, it's already done. It's, we're so far into it, but what can we do? What can we, how can we possibly extricate ourselves from that? And we have a God who, who is a God of new life. And, and we work with that God to be people of new life as well. And it is, it is not too late. We will find out lots of stuff we can do. But we will also find out that we need to do it collectively. Uh, we need to work together probably in ways that we certainly haven't done recently. And we probably haven't done in a long time. And so when we're done, not only is our earth going to be a better place for us and our kids, 
But we are going to be a better people. We are going to be more like the people that God created us to be because we're going to be more cognizant and more aware of working with each other and what, what we all need. So that's yet to come next week and the next couple of weeks. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you're able to bring some of these concepts into your life. Come back next week for another episode of Faith for All. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, family, and anyone else you can think of about it. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music. John Uzardo engineered the sound. Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties. And I'm your friend and humble announcer, Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us.